You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of the 2021. We are here with Fabio Carlucci and Rupert Hofschmidt, the founders of Roy Kombucha. And we're today going to be diving into all things fermented drinks, growing a company in the times of pandemic, and hopefully getting some good tips on how to live a very healthy and gut-aware life. Hello, guys. Hi, Maria. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm very happy that you've found some time. We couldn't actually meet in person because of the pandemic and the newest restrictions and Fabio being the lucky one who got out to ski for a bit. Uh, at least we can do it over Zoom, which is also fine. And we're going to be diving into your story, guys, just to get an idea of where you both are coming from and how everything has started. Would you mind sharing with the audience how you both ended up in Berlin? Fabio and I spoke a little bit about uh, his trip to Switzerland. I imagine you're from there. And so I wanted to get an idea of how you guys met and why are you in Berlin specifically? Thanks again for having us, Maria, and uh, hi to everyone. Yeah, I'm originally Swiss and Italian. So my dad is Italian and my mom is Swiss, uh, not Swiss Italian, what some people might think. So I was born and raised mostly in Switzerland, but also in Italy. And then I first did an apprenticeship and then eventually I studied in Switzerland. And while at university, I got the chance to found my first startup as a spin-off with the university. So I was very, very young back then, uh, 21, and kind of got the feeling of what it is to, to found a own company and what entrepreneurship is all about. And was also quite active in the student union and things like that. So besides just the pure theory in the in the classes, let's say. And then I did that for one and a half, two years almost in Switzerland, in Zurich. And then I went, I actually moved to Berlin together with my brother because we founded our second or my second startup, which was an online community that back in the day worked with what today would be influencers. So we actually worked with personalities mm. to inspire people to live their best life, basically. And we had our own online network. Yeah, we moved to Berlin because we knew that it's it's the best place in Europe in terms of ecosystem, network. Also, of course, budget-wise. So with, with the money that one has, you can live the longest probably in Berlin than any other European capital city. Uh, and so, yeah, that's why I moved to Berlin around seven years ago. And then during that time with my startup, I actually got to know Rupert because we shared the office space. So me and my brother with our startup had the same office in which Rupert uh, with his company was and then eventually we actually took over their office when when they left uh, so that's how we got to know each other around six years ago I was running that startup for three years together with my brother and then we turned it into a software as a service for online communities which then unfortunately we had to shut down because it didn't really scale and then I went traveling a bit and then I came back and I was freelancing as a community and marketing consultant for around one and a half years. And that's when I got back in touch with Rupert and where kind of then the Roy story started. I thought you were going to say that Rupert was the main influencer you guys were promoting in your business. And that's how you guys (laughs) met. Actually, before I let you give us a little bit of a background, Rupert, I just wanted to maybe ask you, Fabio, about uh, the names of the startups that you started in case some people want to dive back in. and Yeah, yeah. They're not, not the most famous startups out there for sure, uh, but the first one was called Establish Me, and it was actually an idea that we that we came up through design thinking because it was a spin-off from the university with the design thinking department basically, and it was around that time where endorsements were, were not really a thing. So we the idea of Establish Me was that you would create a person's profile not based on their personal interpretation but through peers and people that they engage with. So the profile would be created through badges that people give to you. Uh, kind of then a few months later, LinkedIn launched endorsements and that was kind of the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the second startup was called uh, Amazers. Interesting, okay, cool. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk lately, especially about the endorsements on LinkedIn and generally how that works and and kind of how LinkedIn is really broken in terms of understanding who is capable of what and what kind of skill set people have. 
And then there's a lot of bragging on the platform with yeah. nothing really behind it. Uh, so it's an interesting time to observe where the social networks and the professional networks are are going. But yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And now we will move to Rupert's story. And yeah, I'm curious to hear how you got into that space as well. Thank you, Maria. Hey, everyone. I'm Rupert, 32 years old. <laughs> um, <I'm, laughs> sometimes you give your age, right, in these things. So I just did. I come from uh, close to Bielefeld, so uh, uh, more the west part of Germany, a place called Lemgo, small town that's only known for handball, basically, um, because they have the first league uh, team. I was always kind of interested in having my own business or doing my own things. Uh, this started, really started, not with a lemonade stand or anything like that. I don't have a super cool story like that. A bit later, I did websites with a friend of mine for um, a couple of years um, besides school and besides things. Uh, that was kind of the first touch point. Uh, besides my dad being entrepreneur and having his own company, which was always, I think, a bit of an inspiration for me. Yeah, I started uh, studied business close to Frankfurt at a small university in a, in a village. And at that time, it was really where my kind of career started in a way because we were organizing conferences for technology companies so it was this time when germany had recovered from the dot-com crash and was like starting to invest in startups again and this like web 2.0 stuff started and uh, startups were cool again there was 2009 when i started uh, at that university and we were running this conference where we would bring uh, people from all over germany to uh, this conference once a year and after yeah, we did that 2010, 2011. And then me and a friend of mine, we actually said, uh, it doesn't make sense to always drive all these people from Berlin to, because this is where most of the startup scene in Germany was at that time. I mean, mm -hmm. nowadays it's much more spread out, of course. It's also much bigger. Uh, but we were driving everyone from Berlin to... Uh, place called Österreich Winkel, Little Village. And then we said, ah, it might make sense to just do it in Berlin. I had finished my studies and we founded a company as a joint venture with Axel Springer. And we were running twice a year a technology conference called High Berlin at that time. Uh, High uh, spelled H-Y and then with an exclamation mark. And we did that for two, three years. Uh, it was very successful product-wise. Like we had lots of cool people there, uh, lots of people from Silicon Valley. And, and yeah, there was a lot going on. Uh, Business-wise, not, so, uh, not so successful. So um, we actually was, were, were looking for business models. And in the end, we basically turned into a consultancy. The term was digital transformation. I mean, it's still the term right now. It's much bigger now, much bigger industry. At that time, it was just starting corporates. Uh, there was Deutsche Telekom, KPMG, these companies being partners uh, with us, and they were getting into the scene more and more. And yeah, we would kind of create consultancy formats uh, for these companies. And two years later or so, I figured out that I'm not really the consulting kind of guy or I didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. So basically, long, long story short, we sold the majority of that company to Axel Springer. The company still exists today. It's still called High, and they're doing a really good job. It's a, yeah, you could call it like a boutique consultancy, basically, for, for the German SME, SME companies who want to collaborate with startups, go into innovation and these things. Um, yeah, I was out there beginning of 2017. I mean, that was also the company bit, bit in that transition phase when Fabio and I, when we shared that office, the transition phase from us being an events company at that time to us being a consulting company. That's when we shared the office in, um, in Kreuzberg in, in Berlin. And then I was out of uh, my job, uh, jobless, uh, if you want to call it like that, at beginning of 2017. And this is when a bit of a soul searching time began. Uh, and while looking into various things, I stumbled upon fermentation. I did a lot of fermentation at home, uh, starting with milk kefir and then water kefir. And that's where the Roy story then began by looking into these, uh, looking into these fermented drinks, eventually talking to Fabio about it because we we're bumping into each other in a co-working space called Factory. I don't know if we want to go into that already now. That was my yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is super interesting. Both of your stories are very cool and interesting how you kind of came from two different angles, but then timing is everything and meeting cool people at the right time helps to then form lasting partnerships and amazing companies. Yeah, let's talk about the formation of the company, how you guys decided that it will be called Roy. I always love the story behind the name. And then why did you decide to go into kombucha specifically as opposed to, let's say, kefir, which I also love. 
And that's how I was, I think, introduced very early on to fermented drinks, because back home in Poland, this is a very popular milk drink that we have. In, and I was always very happy to see that it's also very popular in Germany and that I didn't have to miss it from back home. Yeah, so basically it was 2018 when we when we started then really talking about it a lot over and over. And of course, the name was, was a big part of the discussion. Because, uh, I mean, at the very beginning, Rupert said, ah, oh, I'm doing this, this fermented drink and maybe you want to do it. But I had absolutely no idea about the whole topic. So Rupert introduced me to it. And then it took really almost, yeah, 10 months until we really then said, let's do it. But it grew quite organically with just by having lunch and then lunch every week and then lunch every day. And then it was really the end of 2018 where we founded the company officially. But yeah, the name, as I said, was it was a big part of it, of course. We knew we didn't want like one of those, one of those very kombucha focused names because in the kombucha industry there's a lot around yeah that you use the name kombucha to form another name or we didn't want something very health focused so we didn't want to be called i don't know something like vita vita life or vita aqua or whatever we knew that very early on but we didn't know much more about <laughs> much more than that and then we looked of course at other brands and their names and then you have Stories where it's, let's say, like Nike, where it makes sense why it's called Nike from the Greek goddess. Uh, or then you have names like Apple, where it's just also Apple didn't know what name to pick. And then they drove by uh, Apple Farm or Apple Tree Farm in on the highway. And Steve Jobs said, if we don't have a better name until tomorrow morning, we'll just stick to Apple. And then, yeah, eventually it's really the brand that you build around the name anyway. And so with that in mind, we started looking at random names more and then, but we didn't really find anything. And then Rupert, because he was doing a lot of pop art uh, designs with his dad, uh, replicating Roy Lichtenstein paintings, the famous pop art artist, uh, he just said, hey, what about Roy? Also because he had used a bit of that inspiration and in design world for high. Yeah, and then we just said, okay, Roy, yeah. And then we kind of slept over it and told it to each other a hundred times. And then, uh, yeah, we kind of stuck to that. Yeah, I just started walking around and saying we're called Roy. And then, of course, you have those people who love it, those people who don't love it. And then we had our doubts for weeks and we were not sure because, yeah, what's the story then? Because it's not that our grandfather was called Roy and he was making kombucha and it's like the clear story. We also didn't want to invent such a story because there are some brands who do that in the food industry. You just invent a cool name or a character and make the story behind that. I don't know. He was some captain on a ship a thousand years ago and, and then found some tea in China or whatever. But that wasn't really that wasn't really what we wanted to do. And so, yeah, then we, we stuck to Roy because it's very short. It's uh, people keep it in their heads. It's in every language. It works very well. Uh, then people started calling us the Roy boys. Uh, some people still today think one of us is Roy or they reply to our email saying, hi, Roy. But yeah, then I would say it, it was a great choice. And then at the end of the day, it's really the brand that you build anyway around it. I love the name. Like you said, it's all about the story that's going to go around this brand. And who knows, maybe at some point, either of you is going to have a son and you can name them Roy. It's a great name, actually. Anyone I know who's named Roy is a great person. You know, there are those names that it really carries that good energy with it. And, and I think this is one of those names. Yeah, somebody actually told us from the US that Roy is, is the kind neighbor guy. It's Roy, there was always a Roy in the neighborhood. Not, not so much these days anymore because it's a bit the older name. But somebody once told us that Roy is always the nice guy in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, and that works. That works perfectly. And yeah, I can only also really only add to that, like anyone who's listening to this and, and is, is into creating companies, creating products, whatever, names get made, really. Names get made. Like I've, I think I've, I mean, Fabio and I together, we've lost many, many hours uh, thinking about stuff or like being self-conscious about it or whatever. Um, and me and I also in my life and hundred other ideas, I always sort of the name and then you think about it and it doesn't feel right. And, ugh, you know, and, and in the end, it's always, it doesn't feel right because it's not there yet. Right. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have life in it yet. Right. Uh, you have to give it life. 
Yeah, that's a great advice, actually, for people who are thinking about starting their companies is that it's obviously very hard to imagine something that is, that is not existent yet, but you have to start somewhere, especially in the beginning, I think, when you're when you're when you have a startup, like the name should not be something that holds you back. So many companies also are able to rebrand themselves as, as soon as they they have a better idea. People just get used to it. It's, you know, one day you think it's weird and then the next day you're like, okay, well now they're called this. Okay, fine. As long as what they're doing, the problem that they're solving or the product that they have is something that people love, it's fine. People will get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Apple is for sure the best example because it's, I think, the most valuable brand in the world, most certainly. So, and Apple could launch bicycles tomorrow and people would buy them and they buy them because Apple stands for something and the brand stands for something. And everyone finds the name probably amazing by now. Right. And they know exactly what it means. So, yeah. Or as uh, Polish people call it, Apple. Apple. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're ever confused in Poland and people will send you to the Apple store, this is what they mean by it. Yeah. But we wanted Rupert to chime in on the decision of going into creating the brewery and, and really kicking this off. Uh, yeah, I thought the, the, the question was more like, why did we decide for kombucha and not for, for kefir? Um, maybe Or maybe that's a bit of a story that belongs to us because in the very beginning, we started with water kefir. Oh, our, interesting. Uh, was, was milk kefir, water kefir. And that's how we first met basically was over water kefir primarily. I mean, I'd, I'd done some kombucha as well and so on, but there was kind of what I got stuck on in the beginning and or what we got stuck on then together. The problem with kefir in Germany is that it's protected by the milk industry. So it's very complicated, ha. right? I mean, you have you have a lot of uh, things to navigate anyways when you start a food company and when you're trying to get this off the ground in looking at Germany and in, in, a, in a country where let's say everything's not so super friendly for the small guys, right? You need to, mm. like, ideally you start with very, very big quantities, right? And you start fast, you know? And if you want to start something really from scratch as we wanted to do, as you know, what we're still doing to this day and what we will continue doing is we're producing everything in-house, right? And everything ourselves. We really started very, very small. Then you have to pick your fights wisely in a way. And water kefir is, is an amazing, amazing beverage, but uh, very protected as a term by the milk industry. And also um, we would need to get into it a bit more now into how this stuff is fermented and so on, but it's very, very active. So anyone who's making uh, fermented beverages at home is always very happy with the water kefir because it's finished after 48 hours, whereas your kombucha takes seven to 14 days, right? Kombucha takes a lot more patience. So that's mm -hmm. um, for someone who's trying to make this commercially and trying to make this in an uh, unpasteurized style, right? Where you still have a lot of live cultures in the product in the end, a beverage that that's, that's that active won't give you a lot of shelf life. And what we knew from the beginning is that shelf life is very important. We had looked at the industry pretty soon. We had figured out, okay, there are companies who want to be very, very purist and very, very, this is how I've always done it at home. This is how my kombucha or water kefir company is going to be like. Or there are the people who are like hardcore commercial, industrial. I just put kombucha on the label. What's in it doesn't matter. I milk this trend, right? This is kind of the, mm -hmm. that's the spectrum. That's the spectrum you have. And kind of we always went for a nice balance between these things, right? We, we knew we want to, from the beginning, that we want to bring these brewed uh, non-alcoholic beverages, which then in the end turned out to be kombucha in our case, but we knew we want to bring this to a mainstream, to a mainstream audience, right? It needs, to, it needs to work for people and therefore it needs to be available. If it's not available, yeah. no one's going to see it. No one can actually consume it. So we always were striving for this balance. And yeah, long story short, we like kombucha a lot as well. Uh, in the end, we went for it and we started a kombucha brewery because we actually saw that it works better as a product. There's a big community globally already around kombucha. I mean, it's not that big. It's not as craft beer big, but it is, it is there. You can, you can mm -hmm. talk to people. People have done it. You can share experiences. And that's how we, how we went for starting a kombucha brewery in the end. That's fascinating that there's a kefir mob in Germany. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, who would think that the good old farmers would be so I mean, protective? 
it's just more complicated. It doesn't mean that, that it's not possible. Maybe it would work out. The thing is, when you're small, everything works out because no one cares. The, the difficult part is when, you, when, you, when you're a bit more successful, right? And, but it's, it's likely that, that, that someone who's trying to make water kefir and call it Wasser kefir then in German would run into problems. Uh, in the marketplace. And this is most likely also the reason why you don't see any Wasserkäfer um, on German shelves. Yeah, that's very true. I have never, and unless you make it on your own, I think, and it's homemade, you don't really see it almost anywhere. I've seen some in Canada and in the US, but not nothing here. And I guess it would kind of vibe with the vegans, right? Like if you would make it, uh, because then it doesn't have any dairy in it. So that would also work. But kombucha also works for them. So we can serve everybody equally. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits of kombucha drinking and why is it so good for your health, your gut? With kombucha, I mean, first of all, it's important to understand what kombucha is. Yes, yeah, let's, let's, maybe, let's maybe give people a better yeah. understanding of what that is and um, Actually, we were how it's made. Before, yeah, it's very different from kefir, right? It's, it's, um, I mean, in the end, what you have is a fermented beverage, so what's fermenting there, it's a culture, it's a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. In kombucha, same goes for kefir, you have um, a culture that's kind of living in symbiosis and you have some yeast and some bacteria and they kind of live harmoniously together in a way. Um, so in the case of kombucha, how it works is you have yeast and yeast makes alcohol and then uh, bacteria comes and takes that alcohol and turns it into organic acids. Actually, the fermentation is a bit more complex. There's a bit more going on, but that's pretty much the basis of it. The first thing that everyone's always thinking about when, when they hear kombucha is that it's a probiotic beverage. And we uh, have to say thanks to the US and Americans for that, because in the, in the US, 15, 20 years ago, when kombucha really started, um, and smart American marketeers were like, we want to push this out. They were like, okay, what can we market here? And they were like, ah, it has living cultures in it. We call it probiotic. That's, that's what it is. Kombucha actually being probiotic is or the, the most disputed health benefit in kombucha because what actually is probiotic hugely depends on anyone's individual microbiome. So it's, it's very, very difficult to make a generalized claim about something is probiotic or it's not probiotic. Not even is it really true that in many commercial kombuchas you will find bacteria and yeast still being active because active bacteria and yeast is actually not that let's say good for business in a way you know because it really decreases your shelf life a lot right especially yeast mm -hmm. yeast means you have more alcohol yeast means you have more co2 being built up in the presence of sugar which means that decreases your shelf life so the probiotic part is a very very difficult very very difficult claim to make and it's that difficult that in the u.s um, all the big producers started introducing shelf-stable probiotics, so lab probiotics, into their kombucha um, because where they were suing each other. What can be said about kombucha is that any producer that uses good teas has all the health benefits of good teas. So in our case, in Roy's case, it's black and green tea we're using. And in black and green tea, of course, you have polyphenols, uh, you have all the, all the antioxidants, Right. You have uh, a lot of very, very beneficial properties that come from the tea itself and that are also uh, sometimes in some, in some cases only enhanced by fermentation. Um, then in kombucha, you have B vitamins as a product of fermentation. Fabio always has a good story about how he uh, went to the doctor with his partner uh, a couple of months ago and both had skyrocketing B12 levels. And the only reason we can give for that is kombucha, right? It's like there's no, there's no other, there's no other reason for that. Yeah. And B vitamins also have the nice effect that they're very, a source of energy. So you feel more energy rich after consuming um, a lot of B vitamins. So of course in kombucha, you have some caffeine still left. So in our case, it's 12, 13 milligrams per hundred. So that's about a third energy drink, right? That you, that you find mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of caffeine, but the rest of the energy boost comes from B vitamins basically. And then the last part that is very, very interesting when it comes to when it comes to kombucha, the organic acids you find in the drink, uh, which work on various levels, but there um, you can definitely say it has a gut promoting benefits, right? That come from the organic acids itself. Because when you take something like another 
hyped health drink is apple cider vinegar, where you basically, the, the, the benefits of an apple cider vinegar also come from the organic acids. And kombucha isn't that far away from that because kombucha is also a vinegar drink. It's just what is called vinegar has a pretty high acid amount. And kombucha, you can, you can say you stop it on the way of it being a vinegar, right? On the way there, at some point you say, oh, no, no, now it turns... After this is gonna to turn to vinegary, so I stop it now. And mm. when you stop it, that hugely depends on the producer, right? Um, just as anyone who makes it at home knows, to say, ah, I forgot my kombucha on the counter. Now it's 30 days later, it's way too sour because the most of the bacteria you find in kombucha has very, very little uh, lactic acid bacteria. So in kefir, you would find a lot of lactic acid bacteria. In kombucha is very little, at least in most cultures. What you mostly find are acetoacid bacteria, so vinegar, vinegar acid bacteria. And that's where these vinegar notes um, of kombucha come from. And we know that I don't like it when it's too sour. So I like that you guys keep it at the perfect level because apple cider vinegar, even though it's really good for you, it's just really disgusting. So I'm glad that there is an alternative that you can have. And we, we will talk a little bit more maybe about the all the flavors that you guys are making. I have my favorites. But before we do, I wanted to also dive in a little bit onto the production and operations and because like I said in the beginning it kind of was surprising to me or maybe not surprising but um, it's interesting that you are doing this in Berlin still in the city right you have a brewery in the city and I just wanted to understand what are the challenges of setting up an operation like this what is difficult when you do it at scale if you can talk a little bit about running a food business in the middle of this vibrant city that would be super cool yeah so we like also Rupert said at the beginning, we, we knew we wanted to do our own production and run our own production and in that sense an own brewery because it was also us after the tech world experience, it was something that really intrigued us to, to have something in our hands and also produce it and not just sell it. Because of course, I would say 80, 80% of the new or even 90% of the new startup food businesses, whether that's a muesli bar or a beverage, they're always co-packed somewhere so you, you you find a co-packer that has the the facility the permits and all the knowledge to produce a certain product also in certain quantities from the get-go and we felt that that wouldn't really fuel our motivation and vision and mission that we would then just be salespeople because somebody would take care of, of of producing and we would just sit in an office and and sell it to people and so the that decision was very early that we knew we want to run a own kombucha brewery and also looking at the US where the market is much more ahead we knew that the really strong brands and the really long-lasting sustainable brands most of them are still today operated in-house and then of course we had a lot of questions because we we had no gastronomical experience or or in within our families or anywhere so our studies are completely different that we did and we didn't really know, okay, so how do you then do a food production, right? Do you just call somewhere and, and go to school for like three weeks and get a permit or what do you do? But actually we realized that it's basically really, you actually just do it and then you need to take care of yourself that you comply with all the regulations and then the sanitary office or the Gesundheitsamt will come by and check on you. So it's really more, uh, you just do it and they will check. There's no pdf or whatever that you can get download and, and and just do it because you get a personal supervisor and then he interprets whether the room is safe your processes are safe your product is safe etc 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 so of course that was very challenging it was challenging because at the beginning when we tested we did it at rupert's kitchen then uh, we got into hermann's which was a restaurant on torchstrasse or at rosenthalplatz where we used their kitchen late in the evening. So when they shut down the shop at 6 p.m., we would go in until 8, 9 p.m. and produce our back then still water kefir and then sell it in the restaurant. And then, then we eventually we had to really make the dip and, and take, our, or take our lease in our own brewery, which we then looked for half a year. But yeah, it's, it's very challenging, but at the same time, very gratifying because we can really say that uh, it's done with our hands in our brewery in-house. And even now that we're producing higher or much, much higher quantities, 
and, and growing. We're also building a second brewery now, uh, which we're going to move into in, in spring. Yeah, it's super satisfying and, and makes us extremely happy to walk in there every day and, and know that we together with our team, we produce everything ourselves. Yeah, really. This is so cool to hear that you were doing your first uh, production runs at Herman's because I come from a company that was located very close to Herman's. And so Herman's was our go-to coffee shop. You know, every morning coffee was a Herman's coffee. And I'm and I was so bummed when they closed uh, Herman's, but I think now they're moving on to different initiatives. And I really wish they would reopen just because yeah. of how amazing they were. And the coffee was awesome. Their celery juice was horrible, but so healthy. So I was drinking it every day. <laughs> Andrea, the head chef, who's just so freakishly talented, such a great chef. Also, the food was was amazing. So great to hear that they would support you in that way and that you were able to, to start up there. Big thanks to them for sure. Yeah, for, for the first uh, several months, they were a huge help. Yeah. It's a great community of people. That's that's for sure. You know, now uh, this is great news that you've announced a couple of days ago that you're moving into a bigger brewery because the business is booming. So that's that's great to hear. And I, I'm, I also hope that with this podcast, we'll introduce you to even more people who are curious about kombucha and want to understand how to either make it on your own because you guys are also selling uh, brewing kits in your store. So if anyone is curious on how to do it, they can check out your website and then get your their own kit. But at least in the beginning, they can also get uh, the taste pack that I have to reorder again because I've just, I obviously have drunk everything already. So that's also a way to get introduced to all the different flavors that you have. Would you guys also share with our audience your recommendations for how often you should be drinking it should you be drinking it in the morning or with food or before food like what what are the ways of enjoying kombucha best yes kombucha gets used for various occasions i would say the least it gets used in the morning for sure um, i would say the least we hear about that somebody consumes it as a breakfast drink mostly it is after a meal sort of maybe as a bit of a digestive or something yeah or in the afternoon to fight the how do you call it afternoon slump slump exactly <laughs> the afternoon slump that's how we know it so in terms of how much uh, should you consume first of all anyone should always listen to what works for them like, it makes a lot of sense to basically get in touch with your body and and try to feel how much feels right for you um, that is actually possible and then you don't have to follow any orders from anyone who is just has has an opinion in a way you know um, something to look out for in kombucha is sugar. So there is a residual amount of sugar in a can. In our case, it ranges uh, from two and a half to four grams of sugar on 100 milliliters. So if you have a 330 milliliter serving, um, that means you consume 10 to 12 grams um, of sugar. And if I'm not mistaken, the international guideline by the World Health Organization is 25 grams per day. So that gives you sort of the, the range that you still have between if you're consuming one can, you still have 15 grams, you can, can get your sugar from somewhere else. That's maybe one to two cans would be, would be a recommendation. I mean, it can also be a glass, of course, or a bottle. Mm -hmm. or yeah, and I think it's good to mention for anyone who's looking out to get a kombucha here in Berlin or wherever you guys are available, that your kombucha actually has uh, less sugar than, let's say, the mainstream brands that I see in supermarkets. Always something to look out for when you're trying to decide which ones to drink. So just making sure that you don't overstimulate your body with sugar and then cannot sleep at night, stuff like that. Yeah, maybe one additional remark about sugar, because we're not we're not super anti-sugar right we, we we can't be completely anti-sugar because why would we run a kombucha brewery then right i mean then we wouldn't need to make a no sugar kombucha in a way right so sugar in moderation is okay there's no reason to ban it completely unless of course you have some sort of condition where where it doesn't work for you but sugar and moderation is something that humans have consumed for a very 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 long time right uh, it's only that in the last 50 years it has gotten such a bad name because suddenly big industrial companies are starting to put sugar into everything, right? Into, into, and in, in, in quantities that are ridiculous. So of course, if you drink most of the lemonades and so on that are on, that are on the shelves, basically with half a glass, you're, you're over that guideline that the World Health Organization puts out. A, a nice way, just maybe as an, as an expert, a nice way also about fermented 
products in general and fermented drinks is that when you consume them, actually your taste changes because you, you train your palate to more sour tastes. So I think it's fair to say for Fabio and me that we couldn't drink Coca-Cola anymore, most likely, right? Um, or like any, any drink that has more than six, seven, eight grams of sugar on a hundred. You just can't, you, you, you can't put it, get it down anymore in a way. And so that's a nice, nice side effect that you have from, from incorporating more fermented products into your diet. Actually, your taste changes into a healthier direction. Only good things to say about kombucha and only good things to say about uh, Roy Kombucha specifically. You guys can see that not only do you get a lot of health benefits, but also it's a long-term, long-lasting change towards healthier and more elaborate palate that is not so sugar dependent. Question for you guys. You have a lot of flavors in your offer right now. Uh, there's the raspberry, there's original mate, there's ginger, oh, there's prana, there's the Christmas kombucha. I think these are all of those. Uh, which one is your personal favorite? Ooh, it's a very hard question. It's like asking who's your, your preferred child or who's your favorite child. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, last summer we also had lemon, then we also had coffee. Yeah, it's very hard. We, we always like to say that it changes. So we have days and weeks where we, where we focus on one more than the other. And uh, we're going to stay neutral on this, okay. on this matter. I always like to pick the can from the fridge that sells the least at the moment. You know, sort oh. of, as a matter of as a matter of justice in a way. Okay. So, to make up for the for the uh, less love that the flavor gets from the outside world in a way. And then I try to balance it in that way. I want to say we can say one thing about uh, ginger kombucha, and that's 60% of the worldwide sold kombucha is ginger kombucha. So Yeah, I like the prickliness of it, like at the back of your throat because of ginger. That's a good one. My favorite is prana. I think I'm just going to now get a mix pack and then I'm just going to get a prana pack. <laughs> because it's so good and can you share if there's um, a special flavor for 2021 you there's don't have to say what it is but just tell us if if there's going to be new stuff yeah yeah for sure there's always going to be new stuff and we that's also something we incorporated from very early on we said one advantage of, of being in control of your own production and running your own brewery is to be able to act fast and and do cool stuff yeah, that will always be a big part of our brand. Before we move on to what I do always with um, all the guests, which is a rapid fire round, I wanted to touch a little bit upon how you guys came up to be, you know, such a known brand in Berlin, because I got to know you through a lot of the coffee shops that I go to, a concierge coffee that I love, Two Planets, Black Apron, and every time I see you there... I am guilty of buying another one and another one. So I wanted to understand how you came around to work with those companies. Also, I wanted to ask about the summit that you started uh, two years ago. And if you guys maybe can share a little bit about. Yeah, of course. I mean, we've been very fortunate in the past year, despite, of course, the situation we're all in to have a yeah, very positive feedback, not only from our customers, but also, I mean, not only from B2C customers, but also from B2B customers, which especially in summer uh, worked extremely well. And we made a lot of new friends and, and great business partners. And um, basically it was like this. I mean, in spring last year, Rupert and I said, hey, it's not like we have 10 employees or whatever. So we, we knew we have to do it ourselves. And, and we just researched the, the places that we believe fit to our values and our brand and our product and that we like and that, that we want to be in. And then it was really a door-to-door -door game. So it was the two of us going by, telling our story over and over again and, and, and why they should stalk us. And um, of course, it's, it's a bit of a marathon sometimes, but we also must say that we sometimes imagine it harder than it would actually be. So people were extremely nice to us, and, but just in general, and, and very open to our product and getting to know each other. Uh, I, I, we always say, of course, if we would have just done a lemonade, it would be maybe a bit more difficult. Uh, but kombucha itself, of course, is a, is a nice and new trend that people want to explore and get on. So, yeah, it was just a lot of hard work, basically. And, and, and of course, long-term speaking, building those relationships and, and keeping those relationships through social media by helping each other, but also keeping a very personal touch. So with most of them, 
we are on WhatsApp level. We ask how it's going, how well we can help. Over time, it becomes more like like good good friendships than just business relationships. And um, yeah, so we were very thankful for that. This is super cool to hear that there's so much support in the local community. And one follow-up question for me, are you guys looking also to start delivering outside of Berlin more? How is that situation looking like with the shelf life? Yeah, so we already today uh, ship nationally through the online shop. So for our product to be unrefrigerated for up to two days is fine. So with the with DHL, it works usually quite well. Of course, during Corona, it was sometimes hectic. So we do that already. So people can get us through our online shop basically all all over Europe, we could say. I mean, we also have a few customers in the UK and it works. But yeah, usually we say nationally is, is better. So within Germany, it's it's really no problem. And then, um, yeah, we, we are, for example, in a few restaurants, also in, in random cities that people, they approach us mostly. And so, yeah, we're, we're of course, also with the new brewery, uh, we'll have those possibilities and bigger quantities to go and grow beyond Berlin, of course. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. The Berlin brand is a nice brand to, to expand and build upon. Yeah, that's for sure. Also, one thing to say, you guys can always order with Roy directly, but if you need it super, super quickly, you can also order with Gorillas and get it in 10 minutes. So yeah. if anyone is in Berlin and where Gorillas are working, then you can get a taste back in 10 minutes. So cool. Let's talk about the Kombucha Summit. So maybe Rupert, you can share more about the initiative. Of course, Kombucha Summit um, started because we had to wait, basically. We had to wait for our brewery being finished. And prior to that, we had participated in a kombucha brewing workshop, which is, as far as we know, the only commercial brewing workshop that there is uh, in, in the world. It's by uh, also the only kombucha consultancy that exists in the world from Canada. It's uh, by now a friend of ours who basically set up or the biggest Canadian brand. And then he did that for a number of years. And then he turned to, he started his own consultancy. And there were like 40 people or so participating. And yeah, we really felt that this industry needed a place where they can exchange ideas and and grow and also a place where we can push the industry together. And of course, it's very controversial to do something like this because if you're running your own brand and you're kind of pushing everyone else, that always, like you, you always have a little bit of friction there, of course, that's just in the nature of what it is. So Kombucha Summit is pretty much running besides uh, besides Roy as a brand, right? We do this once a year for two to three months. Um, I mean, Fabio and I, we now did it for two years. We're, we're very, very involved in the global community. And yeah, in the kombucha world, you have now two conferences. Before it was one. Um, that's happening once a year in Los Angeles uh, called Kombucha Brewers International. Uh, and now we, we have our conference, which is called Kombucha Summit, which we uh, started in 2019. It was a, a place for commercial kombucha brewers. It was a conference that happened here in Berlin, uh, actually in Beta House, so a place mm-hmm. for, for innovation. And I think it worked out for us really well because Fabio is coming a lot from the community side. I'm coming a lot from the conference uh, producing side. And yeah, we, we had these, these many things we had done for, for a number of years. We could now suddenly apply to the kombucha world. Um, and yeah, in 2019, we had 200 uh, 63 uh, brewers, uh, professional brewers uh, from around the world, basically in Berlin it was tremendous experience. Um, we had crazy stuff happening, like it was completely sold out. And two days prior to the event, um, a guy from Arizona started to just took a plane. And when he landed in London, he sent us an email because then he wanted to buy a ticket. So he, he started in the US without having a ticket. In London, he texted us and said, guys, I need to uh, get in somehow because I'm already in London. I'm coming from the US. So yeah, we kind of made it made it happen. And then of course, last year, Corona, we had already booked the venue beginning of the year because we were planning on growing the conference. And of course, as a, as a, as a physical event to 400 people, of course, that couldn't happen in person. And so we turned it into a virtual kombucha summit. And also that worked out really, really well. So for we did it as a one week event, uh, which was a bit of a marathon in a way. So every day we would hang out on Zoom with others. Uh, we had like lots of pre-recorded talks, actually. We launched an online community, um, so an online platform and had 
180 participants from really around the world now. I think, Fabio, how many? 53 countries or so? Yeah, 51, yeah. 51 countries. So that's just something we do and it's, it's a lot of fun for us. We're pushing the industry thereby. We are really spreading knowledge about kombucha, of course. There's, there's much more of, a, of an equal playing field in a way. Of course, it's not at least two years ago, we didn't really know whether kombucha would really take off in Europe. Many, many people were trying or attempting to start something, but it takes a lot of initial force and energy uh, to establish a new category. And it's not that if you start something like, like a kombucha brewery, investors are suddenly there and they want to pour in the millions so you can do the marketing and really push it out, right? It's, it's a long way of basically convincing consumers individually that this is a good thing. And even though there has been a lot of success in the US, we don't think it's, it's necessarily given or for granted that that's going to be the same in Europe as well, because we have a very, very different market environment. That's why one of the reasons why, why we're doing Kombucha Summit, why we're pushing the industry, industry that way. It's great to hear that the conference was such a huge success. And I'm assuming that the summit is going to happen also this year again. So can people find more details about the summit on your website? Link is kombuchasummit.com. The, what, what we have to say about it is really only for professional producers. So it's because um, we get approached quite often that people say, ah, can I, can I join? And maybe in the future, at some point, I don't know, we do a kombucha festival or something, with, which is more like consumer-oriented. But Kombucha Summit is really is a, is a um, B2B con- industry conference. So we have like um, industry partners, right? Um, tank manufacturers, glass manufacturers, like stuff like this, right? Um, it's, it's an industry conference. Um, so what do we always say? If someone hasn't, doesn't have a kombucha brewery yet, he has to have the clear intention of starting a kombucha business. That's the, that's the lowest qualification in a way in order to participate in kombucha summit. Okay. That's a helpful note. So if someone is really seriously thinking about starting um, yeah. a business in that yeah. industry. Uh, super welcome. Yeah. And if it's happening virtually or in person, I mean, we, we think it's we going to happen in person yeah, this year, yeah. but let's yeah. see. Hopefully, hopefully. Okay, guys, I think we've got, we've covered most of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. And before I will let you go, we will just do the VP roulette, which is the virtually possible roulette. That's three questions for each of you uh, from one to 10 that you can choose. You can choose for each other so that it's more fun. And then we'll see uh, what you have to say about the random stuff that I put in there. Okay, so Rupert answers uh, seven, nine, and three. What would that be for Fabio? Four, six, and eight. Okay. Uh, So let's start with you, Rupert. Uh, First question is, best advice you've ever gotten? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a rapid fire question, Ralph, right? So um, the idea is to to go with the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Yeah, that's the best way to go. Not to take any advice. Oh, interesting. Why? Like, I think like most of the stuff you hear sort of advice is, is, is good, but you always have to think about whether it applies to your individual circumstances, right? So most likely 99% of the advice you can just forget about in a way. Okay, that's fair enough. When then question number nine is best book you've read this year? This year, it's uh, the seventh day of the, of the, of the, of the year. Oh yeah, true, sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, I still am in the 2020, so last year. <laughs> Last year, books did I read? If you, run a, <laughs> if you run a kombucha brewery, there isn't that much time to read. So it's not that I haven't, re- haven't, haven't read a single book, but... Okay. And then last, what's the best thing that came out of the new normal for you? Of the what? Of the, the new, new normal. COVID, the new normal? Yeah. What, I think what I enjoy is that not only me, everyone uh, has to think about stuff creatively anyway, right? And that there's suddenly there's a lot of disruption of course, right? Like stuff is really changing in, in various directions. That's kind of a bit of a yeah, vague answer, but I would say that there's a lot of, there's a need for creativity and change. I'm glad that you're seeing those challenges in a positive light. That's always a good way to approach the unknown and uncertainty. Okay, Fabio, now your turn. First question would be, what would you do if money was not the issue? If you could do anything in your life, what would it, what would be your thing? It was funny because all of the three questions, Questions that Rupert got, I was like, yeah, so easy. I, I, I do an answer like really super fast. But now you caught me off guard. This one is, 
Yeah, I mean, it's super hard, but I would say that really the first thing that comes up to my mind is, is uh, travel and explore new, new cultures. I mean, that's a great idea, right? Like everyone, every time I realize how big the world is and how much I still haven't seen, I, I, am a, I get a little bit of an anxiety, but then I think, okay, at some point I'll see at least more of it when they reopen the borders, I think, and we're all vaccinated. So that's always a good answer. And the next question is, what are the top three things that you do for you, for like self-care and happiness? Also very little, extremely little when you're, such, when you're running such a young company. But I would say, uh, well, spend time with my girlfriend, watch football, and try to spend time in nature if I can. But these are, there's not much more time for anything else, unfortunately. Where, what's your favorite place to go in terms of being in nature around Berlin? Around Berlin? Uh, well, it, I mean, there's many. Of course, it depends if you take like, you know, a full day or half a day. The quick one for me, I really liked the, the park here in Pankow. I don't know actually how it's called. My girlfriend showed it to me and we went there several times now. And it's super close uh, and has a nice little river going through it. Yeah, but besides that, in summer, we tried many different places. And um, luckily, there's quite, an, quite enough forests and lakes around Berlin. And if, if you get to go far out, would that be Switzerland? Like your go-to quick escape? Yeah, for sure, yeah. That's the awesome. most beautiful place I know. What, where are you from in Switzerland, exactly? It's a place called uh, Gstaad. It's a very famous ski resort and touristic area. Yeah, so. Right. We're linked to it as well because nobody likes to Google. So I'll Google for you guys. Last question for you would be, what, which of the jobs that you've done uh, before were the most transformative for your career right now? Like what was the job that like absolutely changed how you thought about what you want to do? I never really had a job, so that's, that's but I would say for sure my, my previous startup together with my brother, like we learned extremely a lot and we, we, we did so many things that shaped for sure who I am today the most. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the sooner you start building your own things, the sooner you realize that you a never want to, you never want to have a nine to five job. And then that there's no better learning curve than through trying and failing and succeeding and trying and failing and succeeding with your own venture. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. definitely agree. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This was wonderful. It was so great to hear the backstory of Roy. Now we know where the name is coming from. We know that you guys are growing, you know, that you're delivering to people across the country. So whoever wants to get your kombucha within 48 hours outside of Berlin, easy, you get it through the store. And also people in Berlin can order it from you directly or in 10 minutes from Gorillas. In any case, very easy to find or in any of the partner cafes or restaurants. It's also important to support all the the restaurants and cafes so you can find the store locator on our website and go buy a can from them and you yeah. support them as well yeah we all need caffeine and a little bit of good bacteria in our gut so do the two go for a walk grab a cup of coffee get a can of uh, roy kombucha and have a wonderful day everyone thanks again boys one one last it's always nice if, if it's always nice to have such like relaxing conversations right it's, um Except for the rapid fire question part, you know, I didn't like that much, but it doesn't matter. But sort of, it's always super nice to, to, to be part of like relaxing conversations. And I always like these um, long form conversations anyways. Thank you very much for, for having us. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed most of it, aside from the rapid fire round. Next time we can do it without the VP roulette because you've gone through it once. But I think it's really funny because I think the, the questions would have been perfect if, if, if they would have been completely opposite. Then <laughs> it's a funny coincidence, but I, I think they would have suited us much better if they would have been the other way around. Next time we'll switch it up and you guys get to answer your own questions. Let's do that. Sure. Thanks so much, Maria. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks again, guys, for being on the show. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Check out the links and the notes to order your sample pack of Roy Kombucha. And until we hear each other again, bye.